So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with each form, with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, so we pray, may your word do your work in our lives this morning. Amen. All right, can I ask you please to make sure you have the Bible open there at Ephesians chapter 4, 
Thanks so much to Ali for reading it uh, so clearly for us. It is a long passage. Um, make sure you've got a handout open in front of you. You'll see on the inside an outline, including a couple of blanks that you'll need to fill in today. So if you can grab a pen, that would be handy. And hopefully you can also see the memory verse cards uh, for this week. You'll be pleased to know it is very short, unlike previous weeks. Well, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 you'll see that there's a heading just before verse 16. It's not in the original, but the editors have put it in there for us. The heading says, Instructions for Christian Living. Instructions for Christian Living. And I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder how you feel. Instructions for Christian Living. Are you excited and inspired? Or are you somewhat downcast and dismayed? Oh, goody. More rules and regulations that I probably can't keep. And even if I can... It's not very positive or uplifting and not particularly appealing when it comes to talking to my family and friends whom I long to see turn to Christ. If you look at the outline, you'll see that the three points that I've got today are all about our way of life. Uh, living the, uh, things like the way we live, our way of life, walking in the way of love. I said last week, as we got to the second half of Ephesians and the turning point in chapter 4 that as we drill down into the good works that God has prepared for us in advance to do, that our big risk is that we'll start thinking it's all about us and not what God is like and what He has done for us. This is the God who is rich in mercy. So we'll need to have that in mind as we try and make sense of this passage. Now, it is a long passage, so just so you're aware, I'm not going to work through all of it in detail. We'll basically cover the first half, try and look at the big principles, and I'll leave it to you later, perhaps, to come back to the second half on your own after we've looked at a handful of specific applications. Well, point one, no longer live the way the Gentiles do. No longer live the way the Gentiles do. And remember that when Paul uses the word Gentiles, it's just the Jewish way of referring to all of us who are not Jews, who are not God's Old Testament people. Uh, But for all of us, Paul's description is familiarly grim. Look with me in verses 17 through 19, Ephesians chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed." As I said, it's a familiar and grim diagnosis of what all of us are like. We actually saw Paul talk about this back in chapter 2. I've printed uh, some of the references there from chapter 2, from the first few verses. There he talked about us being dead in our transgressions and sins, of us gratifying the cravings of our flesh and its sinful desires, and of, by nature, being deserving of wrath. Uh, What Paul particularly adds here, uh, in verse 18, he talks about hardening of their hearts, And verse 19, having lost all sensitivity. What Paul is doing is reminding us of the particular place of our conscience, which ought to be helpful, but sadly is not. Now, it seems that actually the role of the conscience was something that the Ephesians particularly struggled with. Uh, You'll see there that I've given you three references to 1 Timothy, all of which talk about conscience. Uh, If you look at the top of the timeline that's been there throughout this series... Paul wrote to the Ephesians around about 60 AD, uh, but a few years later, he writes to Timothy, to the leader of the church, almost like a follow-up. This issue of conscience is still clearly an important one. 
I'd love to say lots about the role of the conscience, uh, but for the sake of time, what I'm just going to do today is refer you to this book called Pure Joy, Rediscover Your Conscience by Christopher Ashe. Uh, there's a reference there on your handout. That's this week's recommended reading. What he does is that he points out, rightly I think, that our conscience is indispensable but unreliable. Those are the blanks for you to fill in. Our conscience is indispensable but unreliable. He's saying that our conscience is God's gift to help us live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. But sadly, our sin has corrupted it and rendered it almost completely ineffective for godliness. Well, as I said, Paul's diagnosis of what we're like, it's pretty grim. Uh, I remember asking once a new Christian uh, what he thought of verses 17 through 19. And I asked him, do you think this described you before you became a Christian? His reply, it came back immediately and without hesitation, absolutely, definitely. He went on to acknowledge, I think, with remarkable insight, that the reason was because it was largely a result of being surrounded by others who lived that way. And also because no one had ever shown him that there was a better way to live. And yet, thankfully, God has intervened in all of our lives. So we come to point two on the bottom left there, the way of life you learned. The way of life you learned. I pick it up with me in verses 20 and 21. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now, unfortunately, it goes over the page there. Let me read it again. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What's amazing, according to Paul, is that we have learned a new way of life. When we heard about Christ, when we're taught in Christ, in accordance with the truth that is in Christ. What Paul is saying is that the way people can change is by hearing the truth about Jesus. Uh, that's why I take it, he, he emphasises three times, about Christ, in him, in Jesus. Or, as Jesus himself says, only his truth can set us free. Paul's reminding us, I think, that moral arguments, moral arguments will never persuade us, particularly if we are ignorant and insensitive, as he's just said. And so what Paul is saying, I think, is that if we only ever appeal to people on the basis of moral utilitarian arguments, it'll be better for you if you live this way, then all we're going to do is convert people to moralism and to moral improvement. People will inevitably start to think, that Christians think that God just wants me to try and do a, try a bit harder to be a bit better person. Which Paul has just called futile thinking. So what is the truth? Well, three things will stand out. Pick it up in verses 22 through 24, because this is the very heart of the passage. This is what helps us understand both what comes before and what's coming afterwards. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, here are the three things you were taught with regard to the former way of life. Firstly, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
Secondly, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then thirdly, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Those three things, firstly, to put off your old self. Secondly, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And thirdly, to be like God, uh, sorry, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And you'll see each of those three things are printed at the bottom left of your handout there, because as I said, it's going to shape the rest of this passage. Let me say something about each of those three truths. Firstly, put off your old self. Put off your old self. Uh, Notice what Paul says there, put off your old self, verse 22, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It wasn't much use to you anyway, so get rid of it. Put off your old self. Uh, The second thing he says is in verse 24, put on the new self, put on the new self. Literally, he says in verse 24, clothe yourself or dress yourself newly. And the reason he gives is, well, did you notice? Put on a new self which has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Your new self has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I don't know what image springs to mind for you, but as I think about that, putting on that kind of thing, it sounds like donning a super suit. You know, think of a superhero who puts on the suit and, as they do, are transformed into something different. But, of course, we all know the problem is that you need to do more than just take something off and put something on. You need to be changed within. And so that's the third thing that Paul says there. It's actually in verse 23. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Literally, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because more than just changing our outward and external appearances, real transformation requires an inner and an internal change a reshaping of our dreams and desires, our longings and our aspirations. Paul knows simply putting on new clothes won't change the wearer. Simply putting on new clothes won't change the wearer. That's the plot of endless rags to riches stories, which go on to be all about, as you know, imposter syndrome. Thankfully, God gives us a new mindset. It's based on the truth of what he is like and what Christ has done for us. So, put off your old self, put on the new self, be made new in the attitude of your minds. What does it look like in practice? Well, point three, shift over to the right-hand side, and this is the rest of the passage from 4.26 all the way through 5.20. As I said, we're not going to cover it all, but I'm just going to talk about some of them. You'll see them listed there on your handout. So, let's start with... 4.25, and truthfulness. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. You notice the way in which Paul gives this instruction here? There's the put-off side. Uh, Quite literally, actually, he says put-off falsehood. It's the same word as what he's used back in verse 22. So put-off falsehood, and then put on, well... He says to speak truthfully to your neighbour, which I presume is a reminder of what we just saw back in chapter 4, verse 15, to speak the truth in love. 
But more than just putting off and putting on, there's a question of what mindset do you need? What needs to change within to actually make this effective? Well, notice what he says there, for we are all members of one body. What enables us to change is the realisation that we are all members of one body of which Christ himself is the head. And so the reason why we are to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully is because we belong to each other. And what each one of us does impacts everyone else, including ourselves. Well, look at the next example he gives. This is verses 26 and 27. Here he talks about anger and rage. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. What are we to put off? Well, Paul speaks here in verse 26 about an anger that boils over and causes us to sin as we lurch out of control. And in fact, he goes on to say a second time, uh, anger that is ongoing. So he talks there in that second reference about um, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. He reiterates just how important this is, how urgent it is to deal with it now before it festers and spreads. Now, if that's what we're to put off, well, actually, what we're to put on, Paul doesn't even mention, although you can probably work out what it is by implication. He does go on to say, though, what is the new mindset that we need? Well, verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is telling us that uncontrolled anger and unresolved anger, it opens God's people up to the attacks of the devil. I just want to say to you, if Jesus triumphed over the devil at the cross, you really don't want to be the one who lets him back in. Verse 28 now applies it to what Paul calls theft or perhaps honest labour. Verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Uh, the put off, well, he says put off stealing, that is of taking advantage of others. What are we to put on? We're to put on useful, honest work in order to benefit others. And that's actually the new mindset. The new mindset that Paul describes here is for us to seek out a day job, a seek out a profession or a vocation. Why? Well, in order to share for those who are in need, share with those who are in need. And I take it in giving that principle, he is actually just reminding us of the example of Christ. Christ who would lay down his life for us because we needed it. Now, I trust you can see that this is a very different way for us to think about work. It's a very different way for us to think about our employment and our labour. Now, we live in a culture which focuses on things like job satisfaction or what I can accomplish or what difference I might make. And I want to say, those are all great things to aspire to if you're able to. But if that's all we are aiming for, it seems to me that we're not so very different from living the way in which the Gentiles do. 
Well, in verses 29 and 30, Paul comes back to the subject of speech. Uh, Again, actually, he's already talked about speech and the bare minimum of truthfulness in verse 25. Now he's actually going to raise the bar. I take it that's because our words are powerful. They can be used either for good or for evil. So verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, What are we to put off? Well, unwholesome talk. What are we to put on? Only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. What's the mindset that we need that will enable us to change? Well, it's that we might benefit others and benefit those who listen. We know that words can tear down, and sadly they often do. But on the other hand, words can also empower and build up and lift others up in wonderful ways, as we know from our own experience when others have ministered to us. You notice there that Paul speaks about benefiting those who listen, benefiting those who listen. Uh, The implication, I think, is that some people will not. So we need to have realistic expectations about what our words might accomplish. But just like Jesus, we never stop speaking the truth in love. We never stop patiently calling others back, even if it takes us many, many attempts. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, that after three whole years of living 24-7 with Jesus, his first disciples still didn't quite get him. In fact, they abandoned him at his hour of greatest need. And then we remember the lovely way in which he restored Peter after his threefold denial. Well, I don't want to get particularly sidetracked, but I do want to say something about verse 30, because I know that this is something that does cause concern for some of us. Uh, Paul goes on to say, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Some of us wonder, uh, am I at risk? Is this something that I perhaps might have done? Well, uh, what's Paul saying here? A couple of things. Firstly, uh, just like the reference to the devil back in verse 27, Paul is reminding us there is spiritual opposition. Even if we can't see it, there are forces at work Uh, against us that hinder us from living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. That's not meant to alarm us, but it is meant to make us alert to the dangers. So, what does he mean then when he talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Uh, Much ink has been spilled on this. I thought I'd just read you a short quote from a commentary on Ephesians. This is actually a commentary written by my New Testament lecturer at college. Uh, It's, you know, Uh, had the privilege of sitting under him for a number of years. Here's what he says. Uh, It refers not to a direct attack on the Spirit, but to believers engaging in sinful activities mentioned in the previous verses, especially harmful speech, which destroy relationships within the body and so mar the Spirit's work in building Christ's people. Anything incompatible with the unity or purity of the churches is inconsistent with the Spirit's own nature, and therefore it grieves him. Verse 30 is reminding us that all of this put off and put on language 
it matters not just to us, it matters to God's Spirit. After all, we were sealed with Him for the day of redemption. Uh, We heard back in chapter 1 that He is with us as the deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that's still to come. And that means that He has so much more in store for us, which is so much better for us, that we must do nothing that causes anyone to miss out. Well, verses 31 and 32 kind of summarise most of this first section. It returns us to the topic of our character in general. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see that same pattern again, put off, or put off all bitterness, all rage and anger. Again, he mentions it, put off brawling and slander. That's speech, again. Put off every form of malice. But likewise, put on, well, put on kindness and compassion and forgive each other. Actually, the new mindset is on view here as well. I wonder if Paul refers to forgiveness last because it's the hardest of all. If that's the case, we really do need a new mindset, so here it is. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. To put it bluntly, nothing that anyone has done to you which you struggle to forgive can be as bad as what we have all done to God. And He has forgiven us in Christ as the example for us to follow. Uh, Jesus tells that powerful, awful story of the unmerciful servant, forgiven so much by his master, yet refuses to forgive a fellow servant's relatively trivial offence. And in the end, he ends up losing everything. That brings us, therefore, to the underlying principle in this section. In fact, the big idea in the whole passage is that only the gospel of God's grace and mercy can change us. Only the gospel of God's grace and mercy can help us to walk in the way of love. Pick it up with me in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Just a few comments about these key verses. Uh, Firstly, you see once again, I know I'm always going on about this, you see once again how the vertical shapes the horizontal. The way God treats us, it shapes the way in which we treat each other. Uh, The way of love, I think, refers both to our love for others and to God's love for us which is what's prior and primary. And in fact, with that in mind, as you go back afterwards, perhaps, and look at all the things we've seen, you'll see how almost all the instructions link our new mindset in Christ to the way in which we are to treat each other. So firstly, the vertical shapes the horizontal. 
Well, secondly, uh, remembering that we have been urged back at the start of chapter 4 to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, it's worth me pointing out at this point that actually what's translated live a life worthy of the calling we have received is actually walk worthily of the calling that we have received. In fact, every time in Ephesians Paul talks about doing good works, he actually says to walk in good works. To walk in good works. It's that sense of, here is a pathway for you to move down. And you'll see all the references I've given you there if you want to go back and reread the verses later and see the, I guess, the slightly different sense it brings to it. This is something that's active and ongoing. We don't just do good works, we actually walk in them every day of our lives. And so, the big question is why? Why would we walk in the way of love? Well, look at 5, 1 and 2 one last time. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can you see the reasoning that Paul uses here? The reason we walk in the way of love is because we follow God's example in Christ. Jesus is not just our Saviour who redeemed us. He is our Lord whom we are to emulate each day. Part of the reason we do that is because, you notice there, verse 1, we are His dearly loved children. With Jesus as our eldest sibling, God's firstborn son. That's the kind of assurance you need to be able to trust God and trust that He is for you. But more than that, when we walk in the way of love, we have more than just an example of Christ to follow. Jesus is our substitute when we fail. Jesus is our substitute when we fail. Verse 2, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is reminding us that Christ's death in our place, the atonement, that is our only comfort. Can you see how this is the gospel of grace? It's reminding us of our God who is so rich in mercy so that even when we stumble... He is the one who deals with our sin. And in fact, the way in which it's described there is with a really lovely phrase. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it at the end of verse 2. It talks about a sacrifice to God, but actually it talks about a fragrant offering, a fragrant offering or literally an aroma, which is so much more evocative. Uh, I mean, as you know, aroma or smells, uh, they can be for good or evil. You know, you think about uh, negatively, ah, something smells off. Or perhaps more positively, when you walk into a dining room, meal already prepared, that smells so good. So Christ is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God that as we follow in his way, we walk in the way of love. And where this all lands then is with us being given a confidence to humbly repent. The cross is the reason why we don't need to cover up our mistakes or live in denial of them 
or try to hide them or even attempt to make amends for them because we cannot. The cross alone is what gives us the humble confidence to repent. And I guess I want to say that because, actually, did you know that the Ephesians are mentioned one last time in the New Testament? Uh, If you look at the diagram at the top left with that timeline, uh, actually, uh, when John, the Apostle John, writes to churches in Asia Minor, he writes to the church in Ephesus some 30 years later in Revelation chapter 2, Yet I hold this against you, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. Uh, Here is the confidence that we have to be able to repent when our love for others or our love for Christ wanes. It's grounded solely in the way in which Christ loves us. Well, I hope you can see why this is this week's memory verse, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's on that memory card there. Um, I think this is a wonderful encouragement and reminder for us. And as I said, this, I think, is the key for us making sense of this whole section. Now, I'm not going to look at all at verses 3 through 20. Um, I've given you some notes there on your handout. Uh, If you'd like to pick pick them up for yourselves afterwards... Um, they, they help us kind of make sense that the same pattern is repeated. Put off, put on, a new mindset. Um, instead, I want to finish by just asking, uh, what could motivate you to want to walk this way? What could motivate you to want to walk this way? Uh, that is, I want to finish with our motives and our desires rather than just on practical suggestions for our methods. Because uh, this is hard but it can also be wonderfully liberating. Uh, It's hard to walk in the way of love because it feels at times never-ending. It often feels like for every two steps we make forward, we regress one step back. It's hard trying to be principled on everything, so much so that at times, to be honest, just being given a rule book and being told to do it unthinkingly, it can seem easier. And yet walking in the way of love ought to be liberating. See, the freedom that Christ won for us as he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, it is truly life-changing. Especially when you consider that our new mindset is to be that we were actually created to be like God in true holiness and righteousness. Isn't that extraordinary? We were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, is that not what you dream of? Is that not what you long for? Isn't that what you want more than anything else, to walk that way? Isn't that what we delight in when we do it, but even more so perhaps when we see others doing so? Or to return to the earlier image, this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, this new self is what we joyfully dress ourselves in every single day. This will not come as a surprise to you, but I don't spend much time deciding what to wear each day. I didn't this morning. 
Occasionally, I do dress up. Uh, usually when I have a reason to, usually for a special occasion. The thing is, when I know that I'm dressing up for a purpose, my graduation from university, my wedding day, my commissioning as your senior pastor. When I know I'm doing it for a purpose, well, I can tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same, dressing up, it makes, it makes you feel just a little bit taller and stand up a little bit straighter and hold your head just a tiny bit higher. What I put on makes me want to act with honour and to live with distinction and to walk in a way that's befitting of my calling. And although I know it won't always be easy, I don't doubt for one instant that the one who has given himself for me, he will strengthen me to do it. Yeah, that's how it is for us Christians every single day. We long to walk worthily of the calling that we have received. Because actually we've been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do the good works He has prepared in advance for us to walk in. And I think there can be no better motivation or inspiration or exhortation just to get on and walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christ, who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Strengthen us, we pray, to walk in the way of love, to put off the old self, to put on the new self, and to be made new in the attitude of our minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.